Hi, this is Susan. And this is Katie. And welcome to another episode of She Speaks Stories. And today we have another amazing guest. I know I say it every single week, but God really is bringing us some amazing stories. <laughs> and in great ways. Yeah, yeah. My son Mike called me up. He's in the Air Force. And he said, Mom, I have got the perfect person for your podcast. He met this gal while he was training um, to be a pilot. And her husband at the time was one of his instructors. And so they did a Bible study together. And I don't want to get into her story. Um, but he said, Mom, this gal is the real deal. Aww. And uh, she's been through a lot, but she loves the Lord. And she would be so perfect. Oh, I love that. So that thrills me. Yeah. Um, and how we kind of got yeah, introduced yeah. to her. Um, well, I can't wait to meet her. I, I mean, well, yeah. virtually, I can't wait to meet her because um, even the correspondence back and forth, she's precious. I mean, yeah. she's totally precious. Yeah. So this and will be a good story. And I really just, before we even bring Rachel, um, if you wouldn't mind, yeah. I want to give a big shout out yeah. to my family. Um, my sons who are just so supportive with yes. Mike giving me a guest idea, John sending money to help yes. pay the costs of the podcast yeah. and Matt just so darling praying and, and caring about it. Yeah. And then of course Molly, but those are my four kids. But then my extended family, my cousins, my nieces, Aww. my sister, Denise, who is like, I am your biggest yes, fan. Yes, she's fabulous. And I was at this huge family reunion. Yeah, um, last week. Last yeah, week. That's why we took a little bit of a hiatus there for a while, because Katie was reunioning up. Big time. Yeah. In Minnesota and Wisconsin. And so I just want to give a shout out to the Flaherty family. Flaherty and family. I all love that. that are involved with that. And thanks for all your encouragement on this podcast and all the different uh, nieces and people listening. So I love all you guys so much. I love that. I love that. Um, and also right before we bring Rachel on, let me just uh, do a couple of housekeeping things. Okay, good. Um, one is, is that you guys are uh, being so faithful in sharing. So we just just ask that you keep sharing because that really does help us spread these stories. And um, we are having people literally all over the world listening to these stories. And that's what we want. We want God to be honored and by these stories being told as often as they can. Um, and so also I wanted to say that we have now gotten over 700 followers on our Facebook page, which is exciting. Yay. So um, all that to say, not to say, woo, 700 followers, but to say that's where you can go to get the majority of the info. So if you have not liked us on Facebook, come on over to Facebook. Um, we're on Twitter at She Speaks Stories. We're on Instagram at She Speaks Stories. Those different places, we put information up um, about the podcast, when the newest episodes are coming out, all of that good stuff. So head over to all the socials and um, like us, follow us so that we can stay up to date. Um, and I think that's it. Oh, oh, no, the last thing was um, it helps us on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, if you rate and review us that we don't really know the algorithms of all of that, but it really does help us if you're able to do that. So we would love, love, love if you would go to um, Apple iTunes and rate and review us uh, five stars, please. <laughs> 
Uh, we would so be grateful. Be nice. I know, right? <laughs> and always sharing is caring. So as soon as you see an episode that comes out on any of our social medias, we would love for you to share that on your pages. We would so appreciate it. So, all right, we are going to uh, get going now with Rachel, and uh, this is going to be an incredible, incredible story. All righty, we have Rachel Faulkner Brown on the line, I'm and so we excited. just spent uh, 20 minutes chatting <laughs> with her and wanting to be her best friend. I know, so. she's fabulous. <laughs> she is absolutely precious. So we are going to just turn it straight over to her so you can hear her amazing story. And Rachel, like we told you, what we love is for people really just to tell their story from, from any point in their, in their history. And so we're going to hand it over to you. Have at it. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Thank y'all so much for having me on here. This is like such a treat. Obviously I have such a heart for military wives and I know y'all are in Quantico and um, obviously you have tons of listeners who will understand my life story and, um, you know, be able hopefully to feel, um, the restoration of my life. And yet, um, you know, just, I, I think for me this week, especially I've been really thinking about my, um, times in the darkness and what, you know, what a blessing it can be on the other side in it. Mm -hmm. It is so hard and so painful. And yet on the other side, you can look at your life and go, Oh my gosh, I never would know that without that season. And I, yeah. I never would know this. So I, I think for me, the only reason I tell my story is for people to have hope that this is not the end of their story. They don't get left in this pit. They don't get left yeah. in, um, in the darkness, they don't get left in the tears that God is going to use it all and restore it. And so that's, you know, the only reason why I share, but I'll, um, start out by saying I had a really idyllic childhood and, um, you know, I'll talk a little bit more about that. It, it was idyllic, um, in a thousand different ways. I grew up on the lake. My grandparents, um, took us, um, taught all my friends how to water ski and, my parents were both teachers and my dad was, a um, an army, um, full-time army first uh, before I was born and then became a part of the national guard. So I really never knew a full-time military life, but yet my dad was always, I was always so proud that he served and, um, and he retired as a Colonel in the army. So that was such a sweet part of my story. And I never dreamed I would be a military wife, but God had, um, that plan for me. But my first experience with, True love really came in college. I pulled onto the campus at the University of North Alabama and saw this guy in a black silica with a spoiler. And for those people who are out there listening that are 40 years old, you'll be like, oh, yes, a spoiler. <laughs> I'm so tracking on a spoiler because in 94, that was the jam. And he had a personalized license plate, so he was rich and he had a great <laughs> I love it. 
and I was 17 and had such high expectations for myself, but I, you know, I was like, he's so darling, he's so cute, and I know his name was T. Faust, and so anyway, I did some, you know, asking around, and he had broken up with his girlfriend. I was like, oh, this is awesome, fair game, and we ended up having our first date, and um, he took me to watch the movie Rudy with his mom, and I never will forget it because I was like, oh my gosh, like, how impressive that you would want me to meet your mom on our first date, you know, like that's so bizarre. And yet at the same time, it was so sweet. I was like, Oh my gosh. And the rest is history. We got married the weekend after I graduated, he was Mr. Everything at our college and the picture of health. He ran cross country in college and, um, he was just a stud. I'd never worked out when I met him ever a day in my life. And I was like, Oh my, should I go to the gym? Like, he's so <laughs> Maybe I should do that. I don't know. But anyway, so I was just enamored with him. He was, he loved the Lord and, um, he was just a super moral guy. He, he never drank or smoked. He ran around everybody who did, but just had just stamina. I don't know any other way to describe it. And I was so like impressed because that was not my story in high school. And so Anyway, um, we married and moved to Tuscaloosa and then moved back to Florence, Alabama, where we just made a life as drug reps. We were pharmaceutical reps for Eli Lilly and Company and had just an amazing life in Florence, our hometown. We had both sets of parents there. You can imagine they were desperate for us to have a baby. We'd been married about four years and life was just, um, I mean, it was idyllic, very idyllic. I mean, just small town America, good living in our church, very active. We'd gone to church on, um, this particular Sunday and it was five days after September 11th. So everybody remembers where they were on September 11th, but my personal September 11th was, um, the 16th of September and Todd went to play a game of pickup basketball. And I did what Southern women do between two and four on Sunday afternoons, which is go to a wedding shower or a baby shower with your cheese straws. And that's what, I, that's what I was doing, or cucumber sandwiches. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and so I was, you know, I was doing that and came home and my best friend called and said, Hey, she was like, I think Todd broke his leg. Um, she was napping back in her bedroom. They were playing basketball in their driveway. And I said, okay, I'll be right there. He had rolled his ankle a thousand times. And so I just was totally expectant. I was walking up to, you know, Oh, a rolled ankle gone bad. And when I got there, Todd was laying um, in the driveway. One of our doctors was playing with them because we were drug reps and he was doing CPR. And I was like, wait, what? I mean, because, you know, when you think you're walking up to a broken leg and you see your husband prostrate and somebody doing CPR, mm -hmm. I mean, I was like, what is happening? Oh my gosh. And not to mention I'm 23 and he's 27. Mm -hmm. So you're just, you know, we are, nobody's thinking about anybody dying, you know, I mean like not even a thought in your head. And so, uh, um, you know, they go in the ambulance. I had to drive behind them because David had David, the doctor had to keep doing CPR obviously. And I was just praying the whole time. Courtney drove me and we we're just praying. I was like, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but save my husband. I mean, I'm just in total shock, you know, just that pit in the bottom of your stomach. And I know some of your listeners have had 
terrible news delivered and or, or walked up and seen horrible things and that feeling of you know it's actually called your solar plexus it actually has a name so that 10 pound brick in the bottom of your stomach that is a very familiar feeling to me and probably to a lot of your listeners so just that feeling and then coupled with you know just asking the lord for mercy i mean i just i don't i don't know what else i prayed just it was just such a um prayer of shock and we get to the hospital and just like you see on the movies they came out and they said miss faust we did everything we could and what had happened is todd had severed his spinal cord when he fell after having an aneurysm on the concrete oh. and so for me um you know here i am 10 days before my 24th birthday here he is had run five miles the day before i mean our whole town we live in a town of about forty thousand people the whole town was like todd faust no so they had you know word spread like crazy we both went to college in our town you know i mean we were you know people knew who we were and so they come to the hospital because they couldn't believe todd faust had died i mean that was just like nobody in a million years would have ever thought that possible and then they had to come somewhere so they come back to our house and so my sweet friend Melanie who was one of my sorority sisters we competed together in Miss Alabama and um, here she is at my house and she sees Todd's sport coat on our bar stool in our kitchen because we had hundreds of people just gather you can imagine you know just death just brings people together like nothing else I mean yeah. it's and of course when it's somebody young who shouldn't have died and so Melanie sees the sport coat and she looks at it and she's like oh my gosh they weren't in church that day they didn't have a church home they had just you know newly married and just kind of like oh we're kind of done with the old church thing let's just try it out and Melanie had grown up grown up in a system of rules so like for her to get to Jesus felt like a 12 step program plus, you know, 500 other, uh, you know, laws she had to keep. And so it was exhausting because no one can keep the law. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. as much as you want to check the box on the 10 commandments, it's just like, how good is good enough? You know, as my pastor Andy says, there is no, Melanie never felt good enough. So she had this just box checking life as I call it. And she had no relationship with the Lord and with Jesus. And so here she's standing in my kitchen, very aware that if she died, she is like clueless of what would happen to her mm. on the other side of death. And so she looks at me and she says, I don't know how you're doing this. Cause I was greeting people. I was so sure of two things. I was so sure of where I would spend eternity and where Todd was was currently which was with the lord because the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord and so i'm like absent from the body present with the lord so i had this deep deep knowing and i'm a knower so like i you know my intuition is really strong like most women and so i was just like i know where he is i'm not crying for him i'm sad for me i mean you know i'm sad for all these people because he would never choose to come back to this place i knew that for sure and so here I am, you know, talking and having conversations and, and greeting people. Normally I'm devastated and in total shock, but Melanie recognizes, oh my gosh, I have no idea. And so we go to my bedroom and when I say, you know, scripture says, when you meet Jesus, you are a new creation. And so that night, three hours after Todd met 
the Lord. Here Melanie sits down, and I don't know what I said. Matthew 10, 20 says, when you can't speak for yourself, the Holy Spirit will speak for you. Well, clearly that is what happens three hours after your husband dies, because I don't know. I mean, you know, we grew up having little tracks that we pass out and those, you know, fake million dollar bills. And y'all probably seen all those things that you share Jesus with people. But I didn't remember any of that. I don't know what I said. I still, to this day, I actually asked her to write me a, um, write up what I said, because I have no recollection. I was in total shock. And um, she prayed and we prayed together and she stood up truly a new creation. Her life has never been the same, which anybody listen, I will say, um, you know, to me, the simplest prayer is the best prayer. Jesus, meet me where I am. I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I, I know this life is empty. I mean, that's it okay, Jesus, I want you. And I mean, I, that's pretty much what we said. And I text Melanie every September 16th. And I say to her, happy birthday. Today's the day you live forever. Because even though it was the day that Todd met Jesus, it is always to me the day that Melanie lived. It's not the day that Todd died. It's the day that Melanie lived. And that sounds crazy. I know to some people it's like, well, have you forgotten your husband? It's like, no, but I know the intersection of his death created life in her. And I don't know. I mean, how, you know, it is well with my soul. I mean, that's all I can say about that experience because um, it truly is one of those moments that you can definitively look at and say, okay, I get it as sucky as it is. I mean, God, who do, nobody wants to lose a husband for somebody else to meet Jesus. And at the same time, I think Todd would have said, oh, I would do it up again because I get to see he's outside of time and space. We are currently in time and space where Todd in heaven is completely outside of time and space. So he can see the whole thing and how it's played out. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I just, uh, um, you know, I know that I know that I know that he would choose to do it again, even though, cause he didn't lose anything. We always think in such temporal mindset, when you are on earth, you think, Oh gosh, what all he didn't get to experience. And I, I'm like, no, but think what he has experienced. You know, it's not what you lost. It's what you gain. Yeah. And, um, and I know for Melanie, um, you know, September 16th is like the sweetest day. It's sweeter than her birthday because I mean, birth is one thing, but to live fully alive, I mean, cause there are a lot of people who are birthed that are completely dead, you know, but she is walking around this earth fully alive. So birthday, schmirth day. <laughs> September 16th is truly the day that she lived. And for anybody listening, I mean, you know, whenever this plays, if you hear it today could be the day that you truly live because there's so much more to this life. So um, for me, you know, after that, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was a single widow at 24. I mean, that is not the place you want to be. And of course, having been married, I knew how much I loved marriage. And so I started dating again um, about a year after um, Todd died and um, had a bunch of funny first dates. One in particular um, he brought me a teddy bear that played the Alabama, like the Roll Tide, you know, University of Alabama played the fight song. And I was like, 
wow, like that is a special gift for somebody who's in their twenties. I'm sorry. What is happening here? And he was about 40 and I'm like, okay, really a 40 year old man bringing me a teddy bear. So I was like, Oh Lord, please let this not be my future. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Please God. And, um, so anyway, at Christmas that year I had seen Blair Faulkner, who was a friend of ours. He was a family friend and he had been um, stationed. He was an Air Force fighter pilot. He'd been stationed all over the world, but he was actually supposed to be in our wedding. He was supposed to be an usher because he was, you know, um, David and Judy and my in-laws, his parents were best friends. And so they traveled together. I'd hosted a birthday party for his mom. You know, I knew who he was, but he was, I knew his parents. I didn't know him as well. But I saw him over Thanksgiving. I came home and I told my mom, I was like, oh my gosh, Blair Faulkner's 35, never been married and loves Jesus. I could totally be his wife. I mean, like, I will take him off the of <laughs> Because I wanted to be married, you know? I mean, I had gotten the t-shirt of marriage and I was like, I want another one, you know? So anyway, life was just... Um, amazing and uh, fast and so we had our first date and he brought me a Beth Moore devotional and I was like oh my gosh pretty much I could marry you today because <laughs> the upgrade from teddy bear to Beth Moore devotional was amazing <laughs> we, did. we totally we totally hit it off and um I went to New Orleans and I just couldn't help myself. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so in love with you. I knew the night that we had our first date that I was pretty much going to marry him. And I think he did too. It was like too good to be true. I got to keep all my in-laws. His parents just got to be rolled right into that fold. And we were all from the same hometown. It was just like, okay, are you serious? Like, how is this possible, God? This is so too good to be true. And he had an amazing job and wore that, green flight suit, which, you know, all your military listeners will understand this. It's just so sexy to watch a man in a green flight suit. And I couldn't help myself. I was just like, oh my gosh, like that is so attractive. And then he flies this amazing jet and drops bombs and shoots this huge gun on the front. I was like, oh my Lord, I am totally in. And, um, so we have this just fast and furious flying back and forth to new Orleans and he would come to me and I would go down there and we got engaged in April and then we married in a military wedding in July of 2003. And it was, wow. so yeah, it was so special. My, um, my sweet daddy and mom and dad had paid for the first wedding. And then on the second one, they were like, Hey, sweet girl, we love you so much, but you're on your own for the second wedding. <laughs> I was like, got it. Okay, totally. And so we um, had this amazing life eating our way through New Orleans, you know, dual income, no kids with a dog in New Orleans. I mean, we just, you know, it was quite the life. We literally had a list of 100 restaurants and we just checked them off. That was like our hobby because we wow. loved to eat and we didn't, you know, we weren't super athletic people. And we were just like, you know, what better hobby than to eat, especially in New Orleans. And so we, um, had um just this fun time really I mean it was just it was incredible and then 
Blair went to Afghanistan. My goal when he went to Afghanistan, he was flying the A-10 at the time. And you can imagine watching him leave and, and anyone who's listened, who's, who's watched their husbands leave for war, like there is just this pride in you, not like an arrogance. It's just this, just wave the flag. Oh my gosh, this is what we were born to do. I mean, and as a military wife, I'll never forget Blair giving me the Air Force wife handbook. And I read it and just thought, this is a calling. Like this isn't just like a, yeah, Mm -hmm. here's a handbook. Like this is like a life outside yourself. Like you sign up to host people you sign up for a life of hospitality you sign up for so it's almost like even though your husband was recruited for the military you are you are a part of that as much as they are you live this life where um it is a it is a community i mean unlike any other community like you just get each other and squadron life and you know, shopping at the commissary and seeing other wives and you're just like, peace, you know, you get me and I get you. And <laughs> you know, yeah, it's just a life uh, that people can't understand until they do it. And so it was, um, you know, my highest honor was to watch him get on that plane and go to Afghanistan and know like our children's children will have their future defended by what is happening right here, you know, cause it was in the throes, it was 2003. So, you know, we were, we're still in kind of the height of, I don't even know that Osama bin Laden, he hadn't been killed yet. I mean, so like it was still, you know, it was, and here's Blair, you know, he, he did close air support. So he's got these Marines on the ground. I mean, y'all are in Quantico central hubbub of Marine life. So these Marines calling in airstrikes. I mean, I was just like, Oh my God, I have the coolest husband in the world. And, you know, and I really couldn't believe I was married into this world. And so here we are watching him go to Afghanistan and back home, no kids. So my goal was to do one pull up before Blair got home. And I know that sounds totally ridiculous, but I was like, I'm going to get in shape because when he gets home, we're going to have babies, you know? So I was like, I want to be able to do one pull up, which I know sounds totally ridiculous. (laughs) I have upper, I have weak upper body strength. And I was like, if I could just do that in three and a half months, then I'm going to be so proud of myself. And I'll be like, okay, I'm ready to have a baby. You know, when he gets home, I've got enough upper body strength. I can push out a baby, I guess. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) That was my goal. And so he comes home from Afghanistan and literally to the day we had a baby 10 months later. I'm not kidding. Literally got pregnant the day he came home, which is just (laughs) totally God. And um, so sweet. I mean, I look at those pictures of him returning. I'm like, well, today is your day, Davis. That was the day that you were conceived. But anyway, so (laughs) precious. And we um, were living in New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina came through the Gulf Coast while we were there at um, Naval Air Station, New Orleans. And so we ended up getting evacuated and my territory for, I was still a drug rep at the time, was underwater. I was 33 weeks pregnant. They ended up, um, you know, base realignment and closure, BRAC, you've all heard that term, but they were actually closing the unit in New Orleans. And so they were moving the planes and that just all got sped up. I mean, literally like life was just one big, huge whirlwind. So we ended up getting a new job in Columbus, Mississippi as a T-38. We, cause we were, I was as much going to work with him as anybody, but he ended up flying the T-38, which is a fighter trainer in Columbus, um, 
Mississippi, which was the closest Air, Air Force Base to my hometown. So that was like dream come true. We're as close as we possibly can be. Here we are with this new baby and drop our bags, go to San Antonio for training, come back. And life was just amazing. We had little Davis, who was uh, just, you know, the strongest willed toddler on the face of the earth. James Dobson wrote a book called The Strong Willed Child. I don't know if y'all know that, but it was written about my son. <laughs> 40 years before he was born. But anyway, it was like tough, you know, because he was just a, a sweet, precious, darling child who could just, you know, who needed 12 stankings before lunch. And so I just was like, I don't know what I'm raising here, but this is crazy. And then we decided to have another baby and she's ends up being a baby girl. And, and at this point, Blair's almost 40 because we're a little late to the party, had a little delay there. And, um, and Blair was like, oh my gosh, a boy and a girl, what I've always wanted, we're done. And I was 100% on board with that because it was just hard. You know, he was working 13 hour days and triple turning and Oh my gosh, we were just worn out. By the time we fell into the bed, you know, every young mom is worn out. But, you know, <laughs> when you're flying three times a day and pulling G's all day, you're extra worn out. And then when you're almost 40. So life was amazing. Blair went to work on April the 23rd of 2008. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous spring day in Columbus. And he um, ended up flying with a student pilot who was 21 years old his wife was seven months pregnant with their first baby they went out they we still have the tape of them as they're flying out and I was at the time making Amish friendship bread y'all remember what that is yeah, it's like when yes. you have the starter, it's the starter. Like, yeah. yeah so it's real cinnamon and Blair like loved it so I had a batch of Amish friendship bread I was making and he was asking Matthew hey man, have you ever had Amish friendship bread? Because Matthew's from Pennsylvania. I mean, this is the most hilarious conversation as they're about to take off in this supersonic jet. And then they take off in this jet having, you know, just a, talking about, you know, Matthew's new baby about to be born and what they were going to name the baby. And they take off and the cable in the wing, um, it's called an aileron, broke. And they had the, the flap on the left wing didn't work and so when they took off with a full tank of gas they flipped and both Matthew and Blair were killed on the runway that day at 12 30 oh and it had been just a normal morning like I had asked him hey honey what do you want from Sam's Club because we lived kind of in the middle of nowhere I'd kissed him we had swimming lessons it was an incredibly normal beautiful day and here they go out on what would be both of their last flights ever on this earth oh. and Blair ejected he told Matthew to eject but it was too late because when you are in that um, trajectory with the plane the ejection seat does not work and so they both were um as much as they Blair tried to save Matthew he told him to eject first and um it just did not work and so here I am at home with a five-month-old baby mm -hmm. and a two-year-old and I get that call from the chaplain and we were actually driving home from um, swimming lessons and I'll never forget it. I'd just seen Chaplin. So it wasn't unusual. I didn't think, and we we're chatting and the phone call drops. Cause in 2008, every phone call dropped and mm -hmm. he called me right back and he said, Hey, Rachel, we're looking for you. So he said five words, we are looking for you. And I will never, you know, never hear when, when people are looking for you, like that is 
the worst thing you could ever hear somebody say over the phone. And for, you know, any wife listening, you, you've had friends who've been looked for by the chaplain, I'm certain. And it is just that, again, that feeling that solar plexus, like just that brick in the bottom of your stomach. And I drove home knowing, oh my gosh, I'm literally, I knew I was literally about to hear again that a one of my husbands had died and I, I couldn't believe it. And at the same time, I was just like so concerned about my kids. I was like, Oh my gosh, I looked at them in the rearview mirror and you know, it was one of those feelings where I just thought, I cannot believe that this is going to be their life. It wasn't about me at that point. It became, Oh my gosh, this time I have kids. Like what is, what is their life going to be like without a dad? You know, like this, this can't be happening, you know, and I walk into my neighbor's house and Colonel Gerber, who was our wing commander was dressed in blues and everybody was dressed up. And I mean, you know, not in their flight suits and they normally wore their flight suits. And I was like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is what I'm walking into. And, and I looked Colonel Gerber square in the eye and I said, I know why you're here. I've done this before. And he told me what had happened and I walked back to my house and I will never forget it. I, I know at that moment that my brain, I, I had two choices. I could live or I could die. Yeah. And that, I mean, truly that is your choice. When anything bad happens to you, you can choose to live or you can choose to die and you can be just as your heart can be just as much beating and you can be totally dead and numb to your life. And I was like, no, I will not die. I will choose to live. Wow. And it was as if my brain was rewired because I was like, Oh my gosh, I was chosen for this. Like I knew from the foundation of the earth, the Lord trusted me. I don't know any other way to describe it, but I knew he trusted me. And Genesis 50, 20, it says what you intended for harm, God intended for good and for the saving of many people. And then he goes on to say, fear not, I will take care of you and your little children. And it's a, a pro, you know, a, a precursor to who Jesus is mm -hmm. and it's Joseph and his brothers. And, you know, Joseph was a little twit and then his brothers came and threw him in a pit and he kind of deserved it. I'm not going to lie. And then at the end of Joseph's life, he ended up saving his entire family. And so, you know, I, I know that I know now that that verse is in my life first, but at the same time, I knew I could see so clearly, even as I walked back to my house, oh my gosh, this is for people who do not know Jesus. And I was like, I will speak at his funeral. I will declare to the nations for as long as I live that you are still good, even when, even if, you know, you are still good. And even if you don't get what you want, he's still good. It doesn't change the truth of who he is. And so I don't know how I knew that, but I knew, oh my gosh, I've, I've been I've been handpicked and not for tragedy, but for glory, you know, cause I knew, Oh my gosh, like I will reflect the Lord's glory on this earth the rest of my life. And I, so I just made a pat, you know, I made a covenant in my mind, then Lord, I will choose to live. I will not die. And I will choose to teach my children how to live and not die because this, you know, our identity is not our tragedy. Mm. It is not, it is not, who you are. You are not defined by being a widow. You are not defined by being divorced. Now, yes, will the Lord, will the world want to label you that way? Of course, but that's not how heaven labels you. Right. You're not labeled. You are labeled as a daughter of the King. And so for me, I was just like, 
I didn't know a lot of that stuff then. I think my spirit knew, but my mind did not know yet, you know, because your, your spirit can know a lot of things that your soul and your mind do not know yet. So that had to catch up. My emotions had to catch up. I was very bankrupt emotionally. I grew up in a house where everything was fine. All the things were fine. And, um, you know, my mom missed four days of school and 34 years of teaching school. You can imagine like grit. My name was Rachel Bobo grit. I mean, you know, like, I. (laughs) and at the same time, the Lord knew that too. He knew that I would be, that I really would have the grit to wake up and choose life. Yeah. 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 You know, and he also knew that my prefrontal cortex and my brain uh, have a really high capacity for joy from the time I was born. My parents were so excited about getting pregnant with me. My mom took Clomid in 1975 to get pregnant. That was unheard of. I mean, like nobody took Clomid in 75. I mean, God, that sounds so long ago, but <laughs> like, I'm really just 25 in my head. <laughs> you know so here I am like really this wanted wanted child I know that not it's not everybody's story and God can totally expand your prefrontal cortex and increase your capacity for joy because that's called your joy bucket well as a child I was born with this massive joy bucket so like everything in my life is sunshine and rainbows I mean truly like but I needed that I yeah. needed that to lose two husbands. And the Lord knew that, you know, and he knew, okay, I trust her because I know she's going to choose life. And he trusts, he does trust us. That's the yeah. thing. He trusts us to choose life. And that is why knowing who you are and knowing that your tragedy is not your identity is so important for anybody listening. Like I just, you are so much more than what has happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. And So anyway, here I am, you know, raising two babies. I look at pictures of Campbell's first year and I'm like, I was there, but oh my gosh, I don't have a whole lot of great memories because that's, again, the Lord's protection over your life is to just to be able to forget some things, you know, for a while so that your brain can just rest. So I look at the pictures. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for cameras because I I was there, but I really don't have those you know, oh, I remember that feeling of watching Campbell blow out her candles. I mean, no, I don't remember those things, but that's okay. And so, um, God just, uh, you know, allowed me a season. I hired a girl who was in college to come and she would come over every day at 12 and she would stay till the kids were in bed. And I literally could not have done it. I'll never forget my mom calling and be like, Hey, listen, you're paying her by the hour. You need to give that girl a salary because you would not be alive without her. Your mom, I'm like, you're right, mom. I do need to pay her a salary. <laughs> so I ended up paying her like, you know, an employee because she was yeah. just so vital to my life. And I, I literally couldn't have done it without her because I was two and a half hours away from home as most military widows are. They're not close to their family and they need yeah. so much help. And granted, our neighbor across the street, who's, I was at her house when they told me what had happened to Blair, we ate dinner with them twice a week. So that's the other thing. If you're listening, yeah. And you're like, what do you do for people who are grieving? You know, what you do is you just show up because if you show up to their house, I promise you will see something you can do, but she's not going to know. I mean, I I couldn't, somebody called me and said, what do you need? I literally couldn't think what I needed. I, I, I could barely even get to the grocery store, but if you showed up, 
there was some laundry to do. There were some babies who needed to be held. I mean, there was somebody who needs you. I hate playing games with my kids. I know that's terrible, but for those of you moms, I just want to free you up. Your kids are going to be okay if you hate playing games with them. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm not that girl who loves cards or like, you know, get out the monopoly. I'm like, oh my God, gouge my eyeballs out. But you know, <laughs> if you can play with my kids and play a game, because I'll go take them places, but like, oh God, please don't make me play a game. But you know, somebody else likes to do that. And so like show up to play a game with these kids or teach them how to play poker. I don't know. I mean, just something take them to McDonald's and get an ice cream cone. And so anyway, people just showed up for us. I moved to three years after that and um, the, the military will move you for three years. And so I was like, by golly, I'm not leaving a 30,000 pound move on the table. The Air Force is going to pay for that. And I moved closer to home. I moved to um, Redstone Arsenal, which is a military base in Huntsville, Alabama. And so we moved to Huntsville and life was amazing. And I ended up, um, having just a massive, massive shift in my belief system of, of that identity that I now know that I, that I really didn't know in Columbus as much as my spirit knew, like I said, my mind had to catch up. And so I had these amazing friends who I walked through this Bible study with, and I'll never forget, you know, when you have believed your whole life that you're a sinner saved by grace, and then somebody tells you that, no, you're actually you're actually a daughter of the King first, you know, like, yeah, of course you were a sinner saved by grace, but now, and you're walking out your identity, you get to be, you get to be a princess. Like you're a daughter of the most high King. And I was like, wait, what? Like to walk out my life as a daughter versus a sinner is a very different feeling. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so for me, just learning what that meant was just so powerful in my life. And I ended up having this community of people and started my ministry, Be Still. And then one dear friend, she called from Huntsville. Um, she called me in Huntsville and she said, I met this guy in Atlanta at a lake house. He's 45 and he's never been married. And I was like, oh, are you sure he's not gay? Like, I mean, <laughs> that is, that's potentially concerning. And he was in ministry and he was so good looking. And I was just like, I just find that hard to believe that you know, he, <laughs> why was why he is not married? You know, the quintessential question in Atlanta, why is Rod Brown not married? And so I was like, okay, we'll introduce us, you know, over email or whatever. And she had not told him one thing about me. He didn't know that I was widowed twice. He didn't know I had kids. And so we get on this email and I'm like, hey, did Sarah, you know, inform you about my story? And he was like, no, I don't know anything. I was like, oh, that is such a bummer because I'm going to have to tell you before I even go out with you. And I said, my church made this little 17 minute video. I mean, 17 minute video. It's not a little video. Yeah, it's right. That's a movie. So sad. <laughs> I probably watched it, but it is so sad. But it's a it, it's beautiful at the same time, and it's my story, you know. And so I sent this video over to Rod via email. I said, if you never email me back, I don't blame you, you know, because like for me, I only had the option of friends introducing me to people because you don't get on eHarmony and write Twice Widow with two kids and expect anybody to like, <laughs> oh, please let me chat with her. No, nobody's going to chat with me over match.com. And so, um, I, um, depended on them. And so Rod emails me back. Wow. That's a lot. And I'm like, you could say that. Yeah, that's an understatement. And so just so precious. Um, but he was like, I'd still love to meet you. 
I was like, amazing. Okay. I'm coming to Atlanta. And so we met in Piedmont park, um, a month after this and had a, <laughs> one of the craziest, I thought, you know, I was dressed. I mean, I didn't have any dates. So I was excited to even get dressed up as a single, you know, mom widow. You're like to have anywhere to go besides like just dropping your kids off. Right, exactly. It's exciting. You know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, for any single mom, it's like, Oh my God, I have somewhere to go. So I'm looking all kinds of cute and he shows up in like workout shorts. And I'm like, what the heck? We're not like working out. Like, and I'm in like wedge boots. And he was like, do you mind if we just walk in the park? And of course I wasn't ever going to say, well, no, I have on three inch heels. Like I don't want to walk. Mom <laughs> and eat brunch, you know, but anyway, it was so hilarious. So I would have done anything. I would have followed him anywhere. Cause I was like, this guy's so interesting. He's kind of mysterious. And so we walk and had just six hours of uninterrupted. We literally lost track of time. We went to brunch and then we were kept walking and then we went and had coffee and, um, and then it ended, neither one of us really wanted to go, but I was like, Oh my God, I gotta go get my kids. Cause they were staying with my friend. And I dreamed about him that night and I never dreamed, never, never, never. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I am so going to marry him. And y'all can see this pattern. Like I pretty much know if I have that day, like, fortunately I'm not ever doing this again, but at the same time, you know, it does not take you long when, you know, you are because he loved Jesus. And so I'm just such a firm believer. If they have their life fully surrendered to Jesus, you have your full life fully surrendered to Jesus. And then you meet, you can figure out the rest. If they're a learner, I just totally believe if they're open and soft and learn, love to learn and are, you know, not arrogant, obviously you can figure it out. So I do believe that we overthink marriage, you know, like I just think people just Gosh, date and date and date forever. And that is not my story. I'm like, girl, I mean, sister had to get on with it. I had two kids in Huntsville and like, we, we don't have time, you know, there is a mission at hand. And that was the one thing about ride too. That was so amazing is that I knew that we would be in partnership in ministry. He was already in ministry. I was already in ministry, lay people ministry. Granted, I wasn't like on staff with the church, but I was like, Oh my gosh, like you are the ultimate partner in this mission to bring the gospel to the world. And so pretty much at that point I could have married him. And then I dreamed about him and freaked myself out because I thought he was really in my bed that night. And I'm like, Oh gosh, Oh gosh, I've dreamed about this man, but it felt so real. And I was like panicking because I woke up and thought he was in my bed. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I've ruined my witness. Oh my God. It was a dream. Jesus. <laughs> so you can imagine how real it was because I missed that just pillow talk, you know, as a widow, I miss that intimacy, not, not sexual intimacy. I just miss that. Just my person. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, here I was just having that incredible experience in a dream. And I just, um, I was, I was so excited that the Lord let me experience that before it even really happened. Mm -hmm. And then we got married. Um, we got engaged in March and married in a surprise wedding in June. And yeah, it was That's awesome. crazy. And he's, you know, a pastor at North Point Community Church with um, Andy and has been there for 20 years. And life is just crazy. Our kids are now 10 and 12, which I cannot believe. And Rod is the most amazing dad. And um, wow. I just like to watch them interact. You would never know that he wasn't their father. And 
um, you wow. know, that is just the favor of God. I don't know on, on anyone who remarries and, you know, gets to watch their husband father their children uh, to, to a truly fatherless child, but like they will never, I mean, although the hole is still there and they grieve their dad, it is very different. Um, and I just know that the, the wounds uh, are going to look more like scars than bloody wounds, you know? And so, yes, they will have scars. And yes, they will always talk about their daddy in heaven. And we say daddy Rod and daddy Blair. And sometimes they are like, mom, can you clarify? Like, who are you talking about? And I, you know, it's so sweet to me because we can all have those conversations and Rod's dad died as well. 16 years ago in a tragic car accident. So Rod knows the feeling of not having a dad and how important it is for those kids to know um, you know, because a child does their, the way they experience the heavenly father's love, sadly, and good, and on a good level is the way they experience their own father on earth. Sure. And so for Rod to step in and let them experience the father's love in heaven mm -hmm. through an earthly dad is just so priceless and mm -hmm. powerful. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm humbled. Like every time I watch them, because I know that, um, you know, I know that was not my story for six years. And I just, I grieve that for my children so bad. And for any single mom listening, like God, he sees those tears and he Amen. holds them all. And, you know, I, I read, um, like in the, uh, I think it's Psalm 84, six and seven, I'm going to get it wrong, but, um, it's, uh, it's in the passion translation. It says basically, um, the valley of your tears will be a brook of blessing. Mm. And so I just like, I know that for anybody listening, like you are crying this river mm. and it feels like, and at the end of the day, like you're going to be able to look back and go, my gosh, what a brook of blessing that in that season of darkness and in that season of hard, I got to experience, um, I got to experience the Lord in a different way. And yet I can look back and go, Oh my gosh, you were there all the time, you know? And, and that's true. He never leaves us. I mean, he's, he's, we're never alone. We just did a, a widow's retreat for my ministry this weekend for 20 widows. And I just like, Whoa, you know, just to watch and to drop back into that feeling of being widowed and watching your kids grow up without their dad oh my gosh, like the pain was so tangible and yet it was so holy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just holy, holy ground. Um, so yeah, that's about your ministry that you have. What, what about it? Tell us about your ministry that you've got. Yeah, so these still is, um, a ministry where we, um, really invite people in to experience the finished work of the cross, which is mm -hmm. healing wholeness. Um, and what, on the other side of the resurrection, what we truly do get to experience because it's more than just salvation. You know, salvations is the word sozo in the Greek and it's listed 71 times in scripture and it means heal, whole, and delivered. And honestly, I don't see a whole lot of heal, whole, and delivered in the body of Christ, especially in women. Like we're tired, we're worn out. We're a lot of times really broken. We have secrets, just gnawing at us. I had a secret for 25 years that I let go of eight years ago um, from some abuse that I experienced in my life. And so I am so um, 
passionate about women get to experience that. So we overcome, it says in Revelation 12, 11, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so I just believe that the word of our testimony, Jesus linked it together with the blood of the lamb. And so it is as important for us to experience other people's testimony. So we meet once a month in homes. Um, it's really intimate. Um, people will come to a home that will never go to a church. And yeah. so we um, have a worship leader who comes and leads in a few courses. We love to just sing without having projection screens. And mm -hmm. I just believe there's just something that happens when you just get to sing from the depths of your heart and somebody's kind of feeding you words. And then we have two women share their stories. And then we have a prayer team. And this is the crux of Be Still, which is what makes it different than just a Bible study or just a meeting. Um, we have a prayer team who prays specifically for you individually, if you want it. And then we take communion at the end mm -hmm. and it is incredibly powerful. We've done, um, for the last four years, we've met every month. So about 39 be stills since I've lived in Atlanta. And then we were doing it before that in Huntsville on a quarterly basis, but it's kind of expanded. I really do feel a responsibility. Um, you know, it's a high calling, not like a negative responsibility, but to teach, um, this next generation of women, 35 to 45, how to pray for others. Like we as a body, it's, it's really limited. Mm -hmm. Like, how we pray for each other. People yeah. are coming to church and they're leaving and people don't know the power of prayer. I mean, like you, you may talk to Jesus, but you don't know um, the power of listening to Jesus and the power of guided imagery when you're operating through memories and healing through memories and working through the pain. And so, yeah, so I want to teach a generation of women how to help others heal. Because and people fly to do to participate in these, or is it all around the Atlanta area? It's just in Atlanta, but we actually go to other parts of the country, and we'll come and facilitate a be still. We did two in Dallas. We've done, we've done them in Dothan, Alabama. We've done them in Birmingham. So we've kind of done them all over. When people want us to come, we'll bring a team of um, prayer, a prayer team, and then I'll usually partner with the church on the ground in whatever city we're doing it um, to bring you know some prayer, yeah. you know, intercessors and, yeah. and people who know how to pray for healing, because I'm telling you, I mean, we had a girl to, uh, in June who came to be still, she was 17 years old and did not realize that she could be healed and heard somebody else's testimony. She was like, Oh my gosh, God wants that for me. And she got healed. I'm talking not just like a little bit of healing, like endometriosis, massive, massive tumor, like a cyst on her ovaries. I mean, healed completely. Wow. Yeah. So it is like, you know, the power of testimony is the word testimony means do it again, Lord. And so we really want people to experience like what I'm saying, you know, that's why you're doing your podcast. Exactly. I was just going to say, yeah. When people experience a testimony, God can do that again in their life. So when, you know, they hear this today, they can believe, oh my gosh, God wants me to be healed of my diseases. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like that is, yeah. And, and God wants me to be healed from this emotional pain. And God wants me to be set free from my secret and from my abortion that I had 30 years ago that nobody knows about. And, and God wants to heal that and name that baby and give me a, an image of that child in heaven. 
yes, 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 yes. That's what he wants to do. And so I just like, that's why be still and what you're doing. I mean, literally y'all are doing a podcast of what I do every month. Which <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my gosh, she speaks like that's my whole world. Yeah, I love that. When, when my son connected us, um, and you said that, of course I will be on their podcast. I love stories. Oh, and yeah. you said that the power of a story, Susan and I always say, if someone hears what God did in someone else's life, they can have yeah. the, the, the hope, the faith, the courage mm -hmm. to know Oh, totally. If he can do it in her life, he can do it in mine. Yeah. And I think also that's why so many times, um, I don't ever want to give the enemy more credit than he deserves because he deserves none. But I think that's why the enemy wants to shut women up in shame because he doesn't want their stories told. Right. So instead of sharing their stories, they think, oh, that's too much. I'm going to, I'm not going to share my story. When in reality, what you just said that's where healing comes from. That's where courage is, is born, is when we hear the story of other people, it lends courage and belief to our own story. Yeah. And um, I think sometimes women, like even that are listening right now, if they have a story that needs to be shared, they need to share it because it gives power to belief and to courage in the name of Jesus. I mean, it really does. 100%. Well, in my circumstances, are completely different than yours. Mm -hmm. Completely different than yours. You know, so for me, like I know that like my calling is so incredibly different that that another girl, she's gonna be able to minister in a completely different way. That's when right. You see yourself in ministry. This is another thing too. That in the last five years, I heard Jill Briscoe, who travels the world. She's eighty-four years old. She still travels ministering the gospel, and she said, "Your ministry is between your two feet." And when you say yes to Jesus, when you're, I mean, remember that little simple prayer I said, when you say, yes, Lord, okay, whatever you have for me, yeah. when you say yes to Jesus, you sign up for a life of ministry, whether you know it or not. Yeah. And that's the difference for me. I think, you know, when women get a taste of a story and that they actually can go and change somebody else's life with their power of their testimony and their story. Oh my gosh. You, like it opens up this whole other world where you're like, I'm in partnership with the Lord. Like yes. I'm in partnership in ministry yes. and I can think of no better person to be in partnership because he's so fun. It's never boring. You know, Andy said this weekend, five things that he, he wishes for the church. And one of them was for us to step outside of our comfort zone and do something that scares us. And honestly, for most people sharing their story is terrifying. Yes. Yes. Yeah, but that is the, that's the deep end of the pool. You know yeah. what I mean? That is the, I took my swimmies off and I've worn my swimmies for my whole life and I'm going to swim to the deep end of the pool because I know how to swim. Yeah. You know, I know how to swim. Yeah. And so, um, it's so exciting, um, for anyone listening, because I think if you hear this and then you believe that you have the power to influence and change someone's life because it's the truth. I, I never signed up for this. Like I just started telling my story, you know, uh, yeah, crazy. Wow. Rachel, you've been a joy. You, a complete yeah, joy. Your story is powerful and it's inspiring and, uh, truly man, you have spurred us on. You have a big time. And this is not the end of our connection, yeah. Rachel. We will be contacting you. I know. I know. We, we're going to have part two. 
We would and we will fly up there. We love it. I mean, that's why I have, that's why I started a 501c3 is that so we could do things like that, you know? So it's so exciting. I just we love what I would do. love that. And we truly will be in touch with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, doing. I honor you. Your podcast is amazing. I love listening. It's so fun. And I'm a story. You child. are so sweet. You are so <laughs> sweet. Definitely. And I'm going to hug my son, Mike, so tight. I know. I know. Absolutely. He, um, I mean, he, he said, Rachel, mom, she's the real deal. Yeah. <laughs> and for a young man like that, it, that means a lot. You, yeah. you, you are, you are yeah. the real deal. Yeah. And we have enjoyed chatting with you so, so, so much. Now, yeah. I know you have to take your daughter to the dermatologist, so you better get going. <laughs> okay. I'm going to work frozen off. She can't wait. I know, right? <laughs> Thanks so much y'all. for being with us. Yeah, it was awesome. So yeah. fun. So yeah. fun. Hey, real quick, can I just pray for your listeners? Do you we would love, love it. it. Yeah, we would love it. Okay. God, thank you so much for um, She Speaks, Lord. I just bless this podcast. I just bless it to reach the ends of the earth, Lord, that women listen right now will believe for more, that they will get to experience through um, through your daughters um, how incredibly powerful they are, how much authority that you have given us, Lord, and how much, um, how much you love every one of them. For those of of, of the women who are listening who don't know you, Lord, let this moment be their moment where they say, yes, gosh, man, mm-hmm. I've been running from you my whole life and I'm so ready. I'm just going to, I'm just going to through a podcast, listen, driving around my car, I'm just going to stop right here and I'm going to say yes to you, God. I'm going to say yes, because you, um, you've shown me uh, something of who you are through this podcast or through um, the the speakers or, you know, just anything, Lord, just the littlest thing, God, that you would just bless her even in her moment in the car. God, that anybody listen who is just feeling weak and lonely, God, that you would just strengthen her through um, just the words, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that that she would just be in emboldened, you know, to believe that there is more for her on the other side of this valley of tears that she is crying. And Lord, um, I just thank you for the idea of podcasts and the ability to reach people this way, God. I just thank you for that um, modem of um, communication and that this can go so far, so fast, and that you will just expand the kingdom of God and that you will let women know who they are through these stories. So, Lord, I just bless she speaks, Lord, today. And that you um, just give them strength to keep going and to keep finding. And, Lord, that you will make it easy. That they will feel so um, amazed and just blown away at the power of um and the ability to find these people to share their stories, that it will just come so easy like it does for me still, or that you just, there is just an, an anointing. I don't know any other way to say it, but that you would bless them in that. And so, Lord, I just thank you for this time. I bless it. I, I just, I pray it goes further, faster, and that your kingdom is reached in ways that it never has been reached. Yes. Through our stories, through our uh, pain, and through our healing. And so, Lord, I just praise you for healing for the body of Christ and that we can walk 
in the finished work and the resurrection life and the abundant life that is so fun. I pray for every woman listen that she would be fully alive in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Rachel, thank you. Can you um, tell our listeners really quick how they could follow you or get in touch with you? What is the best way? So I'm on Instagram at Rachel Faulkner Brown. That is, as I would call it, that's like the real life. That's like yeah, the daily yeah, life. Yeah. And then on and, um, Facebook is Rachel Bobo Faulkner Brown because I have like 25 names, which is so embarrassing. But, and then at BeStillMinistries.net or at BeStillMinistries on Instagram, you can just follow along. And um, we are, um, you know, we put up the invitations. Obviously, that's for Atlanta, but maybe we'll come to wherever you, you go. go. Yes. yes. Quantico is on your schedule for this yes. year. Yes. <laughs> that's good. That's good. We'll be in touch. Yes, absolutely. We'll be in touch. I love meeting y'all. Y'all are so precious. We loved, loved, loved hearing your yeah. story. And, and we love all you listeners out there yep. too. Yep. Until next time. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.